0: Welcome to Analyze This, Applied Data Science at the Helzberg School of Management at Rockhurst University. I'm your host, Nathaniel Bozarth. On Analyze This, we have conversations about the burgeoning world of data analytics, which is working its way into every industry and sector. Each episode features someone from the community working in data, and we're often joined by faculty from the Helzberg School of Management who share their expertise and informed curiosity. Hey, everybody, I'm so excited about today's episode. Um, we have two representatives from Fan360, a local organization that you'll hear more about in just a minute, um, as well as Dr. Swan Pham, who is assistant professor of BI and analytics. Swan um, has been on the podcast a couple times? A couple, time, couple yeah. times, Um From Fan360, we have Caleb Overman, who's a lead data scientist at Fan360, and Emily Dale, um, who's a, rock, a two-time Rockhurst alum. Um, Dual degree MBA and MSBAA. So she went the, I mean, that's like the big kahuna um, (laughs) dual degree here at Rockhurst. And she's a data scientist at Fan360. So welcome, everyone. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Um, I always feel excited when we have three guests besides myself because I have four microphones and it means we are at capacity. So that's always a little bit exciting for me, as weird as that is. Um, So let's just start off real basic. Um, So to both of you, Caleb and Emily, um, what is Fan360? Yeah,
1: sure. Um, So Fan360, we like to say we are a data-driven fan engagement company. And basically what that means is uh, we work with our clients to help them use their data to uh, create remarkable experiences for uh, their fan bases. And um, we do that by integrating with a really wide range of data sources that they collect uh, from their fans and really kind of help them message and target, you know, um, the right the right message to the right fan uh, and help them personalize that experience that um, so many of us have with our favorite sports teams.
0: And what are our sp- favorite sports teams?
1: <laughs> uh, so, personally, I'm a, I'm a big Kansas City Royals fan and uh, also sporting Kansas City.
2: And I'm a big college basketball fan, so I have to cheer on my Purdue Boilermakers. Nice,
0: are you, a, are you an alum? I of am. Purdue? I nice. Am. Okay, that, that was a fun, what, what about you, Swan?
3: I don't have a favorite sports team.
0: You don't either. have a favorite yeah, sports
3: team?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Pat Mahomes fan, big Chiefs fan. Um, my wife has made me a soccer fan, so I, like sporting KC, but that that football is somewhere deep inside of I me, and you can't get it out. Um, sorry, that was a total aside, though. Fan three hundred and sixty. So you talked about um, kind of reaching the ideal fans. Who, who are your who are your clients? Is it is it sports teams or sports arenas or?
1: So that's a good question, and really we work with uh, a broad range of different organizations within the sports industry. So we'll work with teams directly like Sporting Kansas City, uh, Real Salt Lake, both in the Major League Soccer. Um, we work locally with the Kansas City Mavericks um, hockey team. Uh, we'll also work with a venue itself. So we work with an organization called Speedway Motorsports that operates eight different NASCAR tracks. And so there they don't uh, run the teams, right? They, they have NASCAR provide the drivers, but they operate the venue. Um, we also partner with uh, some leagues. So the United Soccer League, which is the tier two below MLS. Uh, We kind of work with the entire league there and, um, you know, kind of um, help them uh, understand their fan base across all the teams and then work with some of the USL teams directly. So kind of whoever, um, you know, we feel we can help within the sports industry, we're, we're able to.
0: Cool. Emily, do you have anything to add to Caleb's intro?
2: And then we're also international. So we have Marvel Stadium in Australia and then uh, British Touring British touring in uh, the UK. Awesome,
0: so, can nice. You,
2: can you get kind of, I've seen some of your videos
3: you guys have on YouTube, and I think that really kind of explain what fan engagement is, but can you kind of go in deeper and just give an example? What is fan engagement? So if I'm a fan and I go to, let's say, a sporting KC stadium, what is it that, you know, Fan 360 provide to me as a fan that I can't get any other way?
1: Sure. So, and that's great. Um, You know, what we want to do is make that end-to-end experience that you have with the team um, just kind of seamless and, and one of the best experiences that, that you have, um, you know, that starts from the moment that maybe you first make contact with the team. And that could be through like an email sign up, or maybe you just go ahead and buy a ticket. Um, you know, we that's when we start um, kind of collecting and ingesting data about you as a fan so that we can identify uh, ways to help the team make your experience better. Um, That can be like special offers. Um, We also provide uh, mobile apps for the majority of our clients and that will include things like mobile ticketing, uh, loyalty programs once you're at the venue. Um, and then, you know, during the game, we also operate in stadium Wi-Fi, so making sure that, hey, if there's other scores that you're interested in checking uh, while the game's going on or, um, you know, keeping up with social media during the game, posting pictures and images about your experience, uh, we can help the team facilitate that. Uh we work with their point of sale systems again to integrate things like loyalty, uh maybe provide you with a special offer if we know that there's certain items that uh you have a propensity to buy over time. Um and you know, then certainly once you've uh left the venue and hopefully had a great experience, you know, we'll work with the team to, to help identify fans that uh could, you know, are, are interested in coming back and then, um, you know, improving that experience if, uh, you know, there, there were issues that were identified or anything like that. So it's really just kind of seamless end to end. Every interaction that you have with a, a team, we want to make sure that uh, we're providing and, and collecting data to understand that experience and help improve it over time.
0: So it, it seems like a lot of uh, web analytics, um, a lot of what you're doing sounds like it's also kind of related to marketing analytics as well. Um, Emily, can you tell me specifically some of the problems that that you've tackled in your time at Fan360?
2: Absolutely. So I'm on the mobile and Wi-Fi teams. So I focus on the mobile app and the Wi-Fi and kind of figuring out what kind of data we're starting to collect and um, validating some of that data and figuring out what we can do with it. Um, So really trying to capitalize off of what fans are giving us and what we can give back to them. Um, Everything that we do is centered around that fan experience. So we're not just trying to bombard them with notifications and, you know, come engage with us more. We want to bring that back to that fan experience. Um, So if we know that people are hitting Wi-Fi at a certain time, we can maybe make sure that the staff at the stadium know that people are coming into your stadium at this time make sure you have staff ready. Um, If we know that people are engaging with a certain type of mobile um, notification more than others we know that maybe we should push trivia more one day than um, the roster notifications. You know just trying to figure out what we can do with the data um, specifically on the mobile and Wi-Fi side.
0: So is so at Sporting Kansas City you, their app is Euphoria. Yes, that's is, correct. Is that you? Is that yes, you guys? Yes, oh, Okay, then I got it. Why is it called Euphoria? I've never <laughs> understood that. I mean, I know like Euphoria as an emotion, but it's not spelled that way.
1: Right. Uh, I, I don't know the origins of the name. That goes back uh, probably seven or eight years. Um, but I think you know it's trying to capture uh, that experience that you know we want to help teams. Uh, generate with their fans which is you know just the the euphoria the joy that you have when you're watching your favorite team um you know we have to do a fancy tech spelling i think of course but right um right. you know yeah that is that's the app well, it's, and, it's
0: personalized it's right. euphoria yes. <laughs> I, I think we should say for listeners it's tell maybe if i am i going to get this right it's you P-H-O-R-I-A? Yeah. Right. That's how it's spelled? Okay, okay. So, um, can you... I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of most interested about this, this, uh, this Wi-Fi thing. Um, can you tell me some of the specific things you're able to do with that data that you're getting? So, I mean, you, you, you've started to touch on that. Mm-hmm. So, making sure this, the stadium is staffed, because by Wi-Fi usage, you can see how many people are inside the stadium?
2: Yeah, so we're basically the captive portal on top of the Wi-Fi. So whenever you go into a new place and you have to log in to be able to use their Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. we manage that part. Um, so the stadiums actually own their own routers. We don't see any anything that you're doing on the Wi-Fi or anything. Your data still, you know, it still lives there. Mm-hmm. Um, we just see when you log in, and we see your login um, information that you provide us. So we can see um, basically the number of logins per hour. We can and we can maybe start to see. Uh, patterns within that Um, like I said when people are starting to log in Um, so one of the things I saw is that people were starting to connect when the parking lot opened so maybe that means that staff are starting to connect and that's when the activity is starting to happen at the stadium Um, but the most most of the wi-fi really starts up when um, about Uh, 90 minutes before the game or the match. Um, So that's when people need to be really ready and pushing the Wi-Fi maybe a little bit more, get people to open the app maybe at that point because people are connected to the Wi-Fi. Um, So starting to use that information and then pushing them to provide us real information when they sign up for Wi-Fi so that we can target them better in the future.
0: That was uh, As opposed to like putting in a fake email address or a fake phone number or something? Yes,
2: because when they provide us that, we can't give them offers or anything in the future because they're not a real person in our system.
0: So you hear that, listeners, you can miss out on freebies or discounts, that sort of thing, if you provide fake info. So don't do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Now, what about, so another issue that's coming to mind is, w- what about people who enter a stadium, Children's Mercy Park, and don't log on to the Wi-Fi, just use their web signal? Is there, is, is that like, a, a are those the customers that are like, oh, shucks, we're just missing out, or is there a way that you have to collect data on those that, that sort of fan engagement without that?
2: So I think that's kind of the core problem that some of our clients have is that they don't know a lot of their fans and they want to. Um, so when you think of sports analytics, most people think of you know the team stats and the player stats and trying to really up performance, but we're focusing more on the, the fans and helping mm-hmm. um, teams know their fans. And um, if, if you didn't buy the ticket, if you didn't personally log into Wi-Fi, if you didn't buy anything at the stadium, we don't know you. Um, so we're trying to help up that by engagement through our app and through advertising through them. Um, but yeah, that's that's always the ongoing issue. How do you get people to engage with your brand?
0: Hmm. So, so another thing that would um, sort of uh, create that mask between uh, Fan360 and the fan would be if you bought through a third-party retailer? Or, like like I know for Sporting KC, you can, you can buy tickets through Kansas City Cauldron. Um, would that mean that they were kind of outside of what you can see as well?
1: Uh, it it kind of depends on, and I'm not directly familiar with how the Cauldron handles their tickets, but not really um, in some cases, uh, teams will integrate with third-party platforms like a SeatGeek where uh, individuals who have bought tickets previously can resell them. Uh, we do get some of that information. Uh, and also with digital ticketing now, obviously a big push for, for venue operators um, is to go completely mobile and all digital. And you know, one of the benefits for us is that if I share a ticket with somebody that I'm going to the game with so that they can enter. Uh, we're able to, you know, understand who that ticket was, was sent to, um, you know, if there was any money that exchanged hands. So if you sold it to them or you just transferred and, you know, those sorts of signals can tell us, hey, um, you know, is this a friend that you're going with? Is it someone that you sold the ticket to and you didn't end up going? So it's, it's kind of piecing all these different pieces of information together and understanding um, as much of, about who's in the venue as we can. So there's not really a single source. It's, it's really having to work with a lot of different uh, data points.
0: And yeah, that, that one seems especially interesting because you could probably tell, like it'd be interesting to map uh, resells Resales, resales, right? Yes. Um, Never said that word (laughs) plural before. Um, Resales with like weather data or something. Like, is there a surge because absolutely? And this, yeah,
1: that's other pieces of information that we bring in are things like what is the weather for past events and how well is Sporting Kansas City or you know another team uh, performing? Another one of our clients because those affect, uh, you know, how fans are engaging with your brand. And if it rained last time and Sporting Kansas City lost, and it was the first game I've ever been to, you know, I probably didn't have as good of experience as Sporting Kansas City wanted me to. So, you know, how can we identify that individual as somebody that maybe they need to reach out to specifically and say, hey, you know, we know it was a tough game. We know the weather didn't work out. What can we do to help get you back into the venue and make sure that the next time you're here, you know, you come when it's it's going to be a, a much better experience and you're going to get the full uh, sense of, you know, of what Sporting Kansas City can provide.
3: But Caleb, I would imagine that, you know, any sport team, you have different fans, right? I mean, teams have different Le- uh, level of pri- uh, priority. So for that one person who bought that one ticket who didn't have a good experience versus a season ticket holder, I would imagine you're spending a lot more time looking at data for season ticket holders, aren't
1: you? Absolutely. Yeah, as you can imagine, and season ticket holders are very valuable fans, uh, not only you know in terms of the revenue that they help generate, but I also think in terms of uh, you know the messaging and communication that they just provide to, to other people in the city and their friends and family the people that they bring with them to the events. So those are very, very key uh, individuals for all of our clients. And, you know, we're able to identify them in the system. And in fact, we target some of our uh, predictive analytics specifically for season ticket members. One thing that we've been working on really heavily is identifying season ticket members that might be at risk of not renewing their season tickets and um, you know we've we've done this with both sporting kansas city and uh speedway motorsports and you know we've really seen a lot of success in helping them identify which fans in their season ticket members are safe and that you know they can have a lot of confidence that are going to come back but you know then conversely identifying which ones are the ones that they need to really reach out to and say hey you know, we understand you haven't used your tickets a lot this year, maybe, or that you're reselling them on, uh, you know, a third-party platform. What can we do to make, to get you back into the stadium? What can we do to make sure that your experience lives up to what you expected as a season ticket member?
3: Can you share with us, like, what are some of those risk factors? I, mean.
1: uh, I think one of the biggest ones is, uh, again, ticket usage. So, um, somebody that uh, isn't using tickets and I think the the magic number starts to be about uh, three games uh, of unused tickets um, that's when we start to see the the risk really start to jump up in terms of hey they're they're probably not going to renew and what's great about that is you know we can track that over the course of the season and you know if you haven't been to three out of five games we can identify you in our platform so that uh the sales team with sporting kansas city or one of our other clients can reach out and and kind of preempt uh you know any any decision that you make as a season ticket member and you know start to to try to identify what they can do to um kind of to kind of get you back to to renew
0: but based on your model did it matter what time of year those three games were missed so if it was the beginning of the season and they went to the rest of the game so the equal risk of not renewing as if it was the end of the season
1: sure uh it's it's obviously earlier in the year right um if there's 17 games for for Sporting kansas city over the course of a season home games and so if you miss three over the course of the season that's that's not too impactful, but if you miss three out of like the first five or the first three, those are the ones that, that we care about. So you can more think of it maybe in, in percentage terms, where if you're missing half of the matches or more, then that's when we're going to start to identify you as somebody to uh, to, to talk with. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: Emily, could you tell me a little bit, so this is kind of my in the weeds question. Um, what is your, um, what is, what's your workflow like when you're um, either looking at data or, or, or building the foundations of a model? Um, can you tell me a little bit about, about your daily workflow?
2: Sure, so I'm doing a lot of SQL work. I'm pretty heavy in the SQL and Python um, to analyze a lot of the data. And then I'm um, getting a lot of kind of the direction from um, our direct supervisor, and then some, um, just some people on the mobile and Wi-Fi team saying, hey, can you look at this? Um, so I'll, I'll start to look at that in those terms. Um, I'll look at it in Tableau to kind of see if there's something there.
0: Do a little EDA?
2: hmm I haven't All been right. there that long to get to like the modeling point. Um,
0: EDA, Exploratory Data Analysis. Very
2: good. So I, I saw that you were partway through your MS. VIA. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, so I obviously I'm very excited to get to the modeling point at some point. Um, but I'll be doing that in Python eventually. So right now it's the, the intro work where you're just really getting to know the data, digging deep and... Um, figuring out where everything lives Mm -hmm. Um, I'm seeing this really weird thing is that right or Mm -hmm. is that you know me doing something wrong it's you know that that work that you have to do up front to make sure that whenever you do build a model it's Correct. I'm so
3: glad you said that because I feel like a lot of time when we in the business school, you know, get people who come to us and said we want to hire a data scientist or data analyst. There's this this belief that when you hire a data scientist, it's something magical is going to happen overnight. And you're talking about how the time it needs Mm -hmm. to for you to learn the business, to learn the data, right? To kind of you know really get to know that data, Mm -hmm. right? And that's so important.
2: Get to know the data and then get to know the business's goals because Mm -hmm. I can go in and make a really bad model the first day if they really wanted me to, mm-hmm. it's not going to help they anyone not, out exactly. at all. So just really getting in there and making sure that I know what they want, what the data really means. Yeah, so you can ask the right question. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Nice. That was a great answer. Um, well, Swan, so you have had quite a... F- uh, well, you- well, one, you've, you've taught Emily, mm-hmm. um, uh, but you've had Caleb in your class uh, many times mm-hmm. as well, um, but not as a student. Would you? kind of tee that up and then i want to hear more from from you as well caleb so so swan what have you had caleb in class for uh,
3: i think i'm caleb i think we're kind of been in collaboration maybe two three years now yeah it started off with um mm-hmm. dr miles garland one day he just gave me a, a business card and he said he met caleb at some meetup group and he was like this is a really awesome person you should get to know
1: what, what
0: was <laughs> the meetup group uh, I, don't.
1: I don't think it was a group actually i think uh uh, one of the former Sporting Kansas City players had gone back to do a PhD, and Dr. Gartland was. Oh, uh, D- uh, Diego. Yes, Diego! Diego. Yeah, yeah. and um, Diego was working with us to for his dissertation, I believe, mm-hmm. and so I was connected with him, and he connected me with Miles. So yeah, and then um, so and it's then, a chain like that.
3: Yeah, and I just reached out. I kept to Caleb because at the time I was teaching business intelligence, and you know, I mean, today we are in our program we're you know we we're we're um Educating and we're putting out so many data scientists like great data scientists like Emily But you know four years ago when I first started teaching this program I mean there were no data scientists that I could talk to And so uh, Caleb was one of the few data scientists I knew existed in the city And so I contacted him and said will you come and speak to my class because there's this thing called a a data scientist And everything is a unicorn you know, what do you actually do? (laughs) And so that's how he ended up in my my class initially so Caleb you want to kind of just jump in and talk about how in that presentation, you discuss your background, you know, how did you became a, a data scientist?
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, first off, I, I had also heard about the Rockhurst program and hadn't hadn't uh, known anyone directly involved and fortunately met Miles. And when Zwani reached out, I was more than happy to to come down and help where I could because I think something like this in Kansas City is is a huge benefit to our, our business community. So um, I was really excited to um, get connected with the program and really I I came down uh, with the goal of um, you know giving a little bit of background about myself and how I got into data science. Um, when I was getting started, there were no data science programs. There were no data scientists. That wasn't a, a job description when I uh, even finished up grad school. So um, I kind of found my way into the field just by um, you know following things that interest me and um, my passions, and uh, ended up in the data science world and was able hopefully to provide some, some good insights to the the students around um you know what what a day in the life of a data scientist involves and what my workflow looks like and the tools that I use uh which I know are are all things that Rockhurst is um introducing the students to. So um you know I, I really enjoyed it and then we were able to to do some uh hackathon work as well. Yeah. Um, we brought in a, a data set from Sporting Kansas City, and as I think kind of the capstone class, uh, or capstone, um, session for the, the course, uh, let the students, uh, try to build a model that, uh, we had, we had built at Fan360, try to, um, see if they could do better than, than we were able to, um, in terms of predicting. Attendance? Swans shaking her head. No, <laughs> they, they, didn't, <laughs> they did not. Well, we had a lot more time than a, a two-hour <laughs> class. Two hour so, um,
0: well, that goes back to Emily's point, too. you got to know the data. Right. you got to know the business yeah. before you can create a good model. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. But it was fun, um, you know, just to introduce them to the kind of real world problem that I get to work on every day and, um, you know, see them apply a lot of the techniques that they had learned over the semester to that. So um, it's something that, you know, I have really enjoyed. I think we got to do it a, a couple different times and um. Yeah,
3: Yeah. maybe next time we'll do it in an, an undergrad class, you know, that'll be <laughs> kind of fun. Can you just um talk about your background? Because I know, I mean, one of the things that I remember from your presentation when you gave to my class was, you had put up this graphic that shows the number of times the word data science had been mentioned on Google, Um. you know, since, like, I've been searching Google, I think, like, since, like, 2002 or something. And it has coincided with when you graduated from high school. Right. And you, when we graduated from high school at the same, same time. <laughs> And kind of like you know, can you just kind of track that? And then also your journey, you know, when you went, what what was your undergrad major in? When you did it, and sure. what your masters?
1: Um, yeah, Google Trends, you know, just a, a great way to kind of understand, you know, popularity around around different terms. And um, I like to overlay that uh, Google Trend for data scientists with my career. Uh, back when I graduated high school, um, you know. Data science. Nobody, nobody searched for it. It wasn't a, a thing. Um, nobody, nobody knew it existed because um, it, it really didn't exist. And so, um, I had a lot of a passion in high school around mathematics, um, and and uh, went to college at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh to study math. And uh, while I was there, that's where I really got introduced to uh... the concept of machine learning and when i was introduced to machine learning uh... it was it was used with actual physical machines and i i used it uh... with robotics specifically and you know that's that's kind of where the the original term was it was um, you were trying to teach a physical machine to to do some task and uh... i i fell in love with that there and after i graduated um, you know if you look at the Google Trends chart for it uh, in 2007, it's still, still not a thing. And so I did what a lot of math majors did and uh, got a job as a software engineer. Uh, I was working in the aerospace industry and was doing uh, numerical simulations, so a lot of heavy math. Um, but I wasn't cut out to be a software engineer. Uh, one too many bug fixes um, got, got to be a little tedious for me. So uh, a couple years later, um, about 2009, I uh, decided to go back to graduate school and was, was trying to understand, you know, what, where I saw my career going. And um, kind of around this time on the, the Google Trends chart, you'll start to see like a, a little spike just around data science and um, data analytics. And people were talking about how to apply a lot of the techniques that I had, had I had been introduced to um, to business. And I thought this was fascinating and, and would be a, or something I would be really interested in. Um But I didn't have a lot of experience on the business side. I had, you know, a lot of technical experience, but I couldn't tell you anything about a, a consumer marketing plan or, you know, sales or anything like that. So uh, fortunately, um, Carnegie Mellon, my undergrad uh, alma mater, had a business program that just very historically had focused on uh using data for decision making uh, management science um going back all the way to the 1950s and I felt it was kind of a perfect fit for what I was looking for so I went back there uh to study and get my MBA for a couple years and got out about 2011 and this is you know data science is you know you're starting to hear whispers of it um still kind of a under the radar sort of thing and I moved back to Kansas City and uh, started working at Hallmark in their uh, consumer analytics group. And while I was there, um, you know, kinda data science really kinda started to be a thing and um, you started to hear about it. Big data took off. Um, I was fortunate I got to lead a lot of the big data efforts at Hallmark. Um, I ended up uh, being the first person at Hallmark with a data scientist title. Um, And, you know, it was... And
3: you built the first Hadoop cluster. Yes,
1: I led, yeah, as part of the big data stuff, I uh, introduced them to Hadoop and Apache Spark, which are, um, you know, obviously really popular tools and helped us process uh, just a huge amount of data at Hallmark. And, um, you know, again, the the Google trends for data science just keep growing, and uh, I, I feel really fortunate I was able to uh, joined FAN360 as our first data scientist, and um, now we've got a team of, uh, what, f- four of us full-time plus two interns right now, so, um, you know, just kind of found the right path for me and, um, you know, it's it's been really successful, gotten to work with some great companies and, and great people here in Kansas City um, in terms of the data science work and community.
3: Awesome. awesome.
0: That was, yeah. I, I love how you how you weaved that into Google Trends. <laughs> that yeah. was such yeah, a yeah, like I don't um, have, I,
1: can, I can't use a visual <laughs> aid oh, uh, here, but um, it's, of, it's of meta. Gra- <laughs> it's one of the best
3: graphic I have seen, you know. And I every time I think about, you know, about data science, I would think about that that picture that you put up that one day. Yeah. It's, it's awesome.
1: Can can encourage listeners to go to the Google Trends and, and check out data science themselves on, Home, the, on homework the trends, for our yeah.
0: listeners.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Emily, do you want to tell us about your journey to data science? Because, I mean, I would imagine it's quite different, right, from Mm. Caleb.
2: Yeah, so I always thought that... And and
0: make sure and correlate this with Google Trends as well. Yeah, (laughs) let me look
2: that up real fast. Um, So I always thought my journey into data science was really, like, weird and unique. And the more I taught to other data scientists, the more I realized everyone has a a really odd entry into it because there was no clear path into it Mm -hmm. up until... You know, the last couple of years, um, there was no data science undergrad, data science Great. masters, like there yeah. there wasn't anything. Um, so I originally went to Purdue for pharmacy, um, hated it. it, Was it was not my thing. Um, so I kind of had to take that step back and try to think about what I actually wanted to do, um, because that's hard as a an 18-year-old to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. Um, so I... Kind of realized that i was saving my math homework for the end of the day every day that was kind of the thing i got to do at the end of the day versus my ochem homework that uh, i had to do
0: so it's like 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 you have a plate of so this is i do this like you have a plate of food you save your favorite thing whatever you want to linger in your mouth for the last that's exactly. how you did it with math
2: exactly okay cool <laughs> Um, so I kind of took that and decided I should do something with math, but I didn't just want to do math, I wanted something where I could maybe get a job, I don't know, I th- wanted to find something that was very specific. Um, so I decided to do actuarial science, um, went through that at Purdue, was very excited about it until I had to go actually find a job in it and realized I did not want to do it. Um, I started shadowing some people that were in the field and I have so much respect for them. I'm really glad that they can do it, but it was not what I wanted to do. Um, it just, the the field wasn't interesting to me anymore, unfortunately, at, that was at the end of my undergrad. So I was graduating and kind of nervous about trying to find a job. Um, so I moved out here to Kansas City and found a job with a nonprofit and worked with them for a few years where I was um, doing some administrative work and then I also helped start up some of their data analytics just um, some minor things, just try- trying to get them introduced to some of their data.
0: Which nonprofit was that?
2: It's Alpha Phi Omega. It's a oh, cool. uh, yeah, it's a nonprofit service fraternity. Um, really great if you're an undergrad and you want to join a group. Um, but they do a lot of service, so it was really fun to still get to do something community-based. Um, and through there, I was able to network and I was able to find some people um, that were at DST um, and specifically DST Pharmacy Solutions who hadn't. Uh, hired their first data science scientist yet. Um, so I was their first data scientist. Um, I started there first as a data analyst and then as a data scientist. And in there I had discovered Rockhurst's um, data science certificate program. And then uh, they kind of suckered me into the MSBIA <laughs> and then the MBA after that. Um, but I loved the program immediately. I didn't even tour campus or anything. I saw it online and enrolled the next day. Um, so I was really excited about it.
0: Wow. Okay, so I work in marketing at Rockhurst University, <laughs> and that like that was just like a moment of like, wait, you're one of the stealth applicants. Mm-hmm. We don't we we there. So, you're so hard to track.
2: Yep. I yeah. I literally just saw it online and decided. Yep. I should just do that. I had no other interest to look at anything else or tour campus or talk to anyone about it. I just wanted to try you, it. You knew it was right. You knew it yep. was right for you. And it, it was. It was great. It's awesome. awesome.
0: And how long have you been at Fan360 Emily?
2: About a month. So not oh, very about long. A, yes. You're like brand new. <laughs> I'm brand new. I
0: didn't realize that. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, we we're out of time for, for this episode. Um, this has been really great and fun. Thank you to the three of you for, for joining us um, on Analyze This. Thank Absolutely, you, thank this you. is great. Thank you. You've been listening to Analyze This, Applied Data Science, the Hellsberg School of Management. Our school is a part of Rockhurst University in Kansas City, Missouri. You can learn more about the Hellsberg School of Management at rockhurst.edu slash If you're enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, you can email me, your host, Nathaniel Bozart at Analyze this at rockhurst.edu. Thanks for listening.